Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, CST, and right here for the Locked on LSU podcast. It is Monday, March the 9th, and glad you're hanging out as LSU opens up spring football. Basketball team gets a win in the regular season finale on Senior Day, and the baseball team polishes off a three-game sweep of UMass Lowell. We'll get to all of it over the next 20 minutes or so. Let's start out on the Ponderosa as LSU opened up spring. It's national title defense underway. Um, And Ed Ogeron last week did discuss the quarterback position. And with no absences aside from uh, what we had anticipated because of different injuries, that was where naturally a lot of the focus was going to go. And looking at how the guys are going to replace Joe Burrow. Now, you see some of the video coming out of the limited amount of uh, practice snaps that LSU had. You'll see Miles Brennan looks great throwing the football, as he always has. That's never been debatable. But it was Brennan and Max Johnson and T.J. Finley, the two freshmen. There was a a notable omission or absence, and that is Peter Parrish. The redshirt freshman quarterback was not at practice, and – I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, but it is worth noting how Ed Ogeron, when he met with the media last week, discussed the quarterbacks. And so this was Wednesday before they opened up practice on Saturday. This was Ed. Obviously, the quarterback position is going to be the key for us uh, going into the spring. Uh, we have Miles Brennan. Miles has been doing phenomenal in the fourth quarter in football school. Max Johnson and T.J. Finley. We expect those guys to be fighting um, for a position. We also have Peter Parrish there. It was almost as if Peter Parrish was a, oh, I forgot to mention him as well. Now, he was asked later in that same press conference about how they're going to distribute the quarterback reps in spring. Well, it's going to be Steve. You know, Steve. Steve's going to uh, Steve's going to get it done. You know, Miles is going to be the first team quarterback, and the two young quarterbacks going to snaps on the second team. And uh, that's how we're going to do it. Miles is going to take all the first team reps in the spring, unless somebody else beats him up. Miles is going to take the first team reps, and the two young quarterbacks will take all the reps behind him. The two young quarterbacks, two, Peter Parrish. Max fin- Max Johnson, T.J. Finley is three. Two young quarterbacks are the two that were on the field in Max Johnson and T.J. Finley. So I think it is very fair at this point based on what Ed Ogeron didn't say there and just the very fact that Peter Parrish was not on the practice field on Saturday to wonder what Peter Parrish's future at LSU is going to be. I don't know. I'm not breaking news, but – Based on circumstantial evidence that we have, that's a fair question to ask. Is it going to be Miles Brennan and the two freshmen, or does Peter Parrish continue on within the LSU football program? Now, as for the quarterbacks that are there, Miles Brennan, of course, taking all the first-team reps. Miles Brennan met with the media, and here was Miles talking about Steve Ensminger. It's been huge. You know, that was... That was one thing that I was worried about in this offseason, you know, right after the game, you know, Coach Brady left and we had all these coaches leaving and things like that. You know, I just, you know, I didn't want him to leave, you know, but I just, you know, with his daughter-in-law, you know, just passing away. And I just thought there's a lot of things that could possibly force him to leave, you know, and that's one guy that he's been here since I've been here. You know, he was the tight ends coach when I got here and then he took over when, you know, my sophomore year last year. And he's really been kind of the foundation, you know, throughout my whole process. You know, he's. Like, like I've said before, he's kind of like a second dad to me. I can go to him for anything. 
their relationship is clearly solid. That's a great launching point for this offense in 2020 for LSU. It also helps that you have three really strong running backs, and Miles Brennan discussed that as well. It's nice to have, you know, one, two, three good receivers, but it's also nice to have, you know, three good running backs. So I'm, um, I'm very excited for them. You know, they've all been patient throughout this process with Clyde, and, um, you know, I know that they all got a good, good amount of t- playing time this season. Um, but like Coach O said, that they all have different, you know, abilities and different skills, and we're going to utilize each one of their skills, you know, at a different time. But they're all ready and they're all excited to go. At the time we're recording this, LSU has not yet released the practice schedule for this week. We should have that at some point today. So on tomorrow's episode, we'll be able to let you know what the schedule is for LSU this week as they begin their first full week of spring drills. Okay, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. Basketball Tigers got a win to wrap up the regular season. Now it's off to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We'll talk hoops next. Locked on LSU. We'll talk hoops next. Locked on LSU. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Basketball Tigers wrapped up the regular season with an impressive win over Georgia. 30-point win, 94-64 at the Maravich Center on Saturday. Marlon Taylor on his senior day erupted for 30 points for the Tigers. That's a career high on the last game that he would play in the Maravich Center of his career. Anthony Edwards, the Georgia sensation, who's very likely a one-and-done, a lottery pick, potentially the number one overall pick, just 17 points on six of 22 shooting. LSU defensively probably played their best game of the year. Now, Georgia's just 15-16, and as we talked about. That's not a very good basketball team. They've got a dominant player in Edwards, but if you find a way to neutralize him, there just isn't really much else Georgia can do in the way of scoring, and that showed – The things that we often look at, rebounding and the free throw statistic, wasn't as big of a one-sided affair as the final score would indicate. LSU out-rebounded Georgia 39-36, and at the free throw line, LSU 15 of 19, Georgia 11 of 14. So LSU made one more free throw than Georgia attempted, but that was still very much a push uh, there. Ultimately, though, the biggest difference in this ballgame is when you look at field goal percentage. Georgia just 36% from the floor. LSU 57% from the floor. The Tigers shot 52% from three, going 11 of 21. Georgia just three of 26. LSU made a lot of shots. Georgia couldn't throw it in the ocean from the beach. It was just that kind of day offensively for the Tigers as they pounded the paint, they got around the rim, and they finished around the rim. And LSU, when they do that, is at their best. Will Wade talking about the win. Good win. Played well. Guarded. Marlon, unbelievable. I know we'll get a bunch of credit for the 30 points, but he did a tremendous job defensively as well. Did a really, really good job defensively to play 37 minutes like he did and exert himself on both ends of the court. I thought Skyler did a great job in the first half, kind of getting us going. I thought Cortese Cooper and um, 
Andre Hyatt played really, really well in the first half for us. Hyatt's three was big. Got a little put back on a layup, and, and Coop made a layup. I thought those guys played very, very uh, well for us as well. Javante almost had a triple-double, played uh, tremendous. So it was just a all-around good, uh, good team win. We did a pretty good job uh, guarding them for the most part as well. Glad Will Wade mentioned Marlon Taylor's defense because if you watch the game, that was the biggest key. Uh, and that was the key for LSU a year ago. It was a given. Whoever LSU was playing, Marlon Taylor would find that team's best scorer and live in his grill for 40 minutes. That that was Marlon Taylor's assignment. We Everybody knew it going in, and he was spectacular at it. Now, I don't know if the foot injury this year slowed him to the point where it's just now that he feels like he's rounding into shape or – Maybe it was just that Georgia wasn't a great basketball team. Possibly the com- and the emotion of senior day. Possibly the combination of both. But if that Marlon Taylor shows up for LSU in the postseason, this is an LSU team that could beat anybody in the SEC tournament. Could certainly see its draw on Selection Sunday improve to the point where it wouldn't be a surprise to see LSU play into the second weekend of the tournament if they defend. It's what we talked about all year this season. LSU defensively has been atrocious. Well, if Marlon Taylor is running guys off the three-point line and contesting shots, then all of a sudden that improves what is your biggest weakness. I mean, you're allowing 73 points a game. That's 282nd in the country. It's just not going to be good enough. So let's see if LSU can defend uh, in the SEC tournament. They are the three-seed going to Nashville, and they will play a Vanderbilt and Arkansas will play on Wednesday. The winner will play South Carolina. The winner of that game will get LSU on Friday night in Nashville, provided the tournament doesn't move out of Nashville. There has been some discussion with the SEC because of the threat of coronavirus of the the tournament possibly moving. Nothing as of now as we are discussing this right now, recording this podcast. But Will Wade did discuss getting his team ready for the SEC tournament. The hardest game to win is the first one. You've got to win the first one. And so, like, that Friday game, you got to put everything in it because that's the one game where the other team kind of has the advantage. They played the day before. Now they're going to get a little tireder as the game goes on, but you've got to get off to a good start in those games because they've played. They're a little bit more experienced. You know, they're just – they're it's um it's it's a tough game, that first game. And so we got to put everything in. Win. Once you win that first one, you just kind of – you get, get it rolling uh, downhill from there. But – LSU, of course, bowed out in the SEC tournament, their SEC tournament opener last year against Florida in Nashville, uh, but still, of course, went on to the Sweet 16. But Will Wade still knows that his team heading to Nashville, heading into the postseason, has to improve. Um, you know, we, we've got to play better. I don't think we've – we hadn't won a game in the tournament since we've been here in the SEC tournament. Skyler told me today I don't think they've won one – I don't think they've won – I don't think he's won a game in the SEC tournament. So, you know, that's something else we need to check off. I don't think we, – we've won the tournament one time, right, 1980 at LSU. So it's not like we've been, you know, just stellar in the, in the thing. You know, I mean, we've got a chance. We got a chance. Anytime you get a double bye, you're one of the top four teams. I think we tied for sec- we're the third seed, right? You know, you got a puncher's chance, and so we got to we got to put everything we got into the first game um, against whoever that may be. We've got to play as well as we can in that first game, and and then get things moving downhill uh, downhill from there. But it's exciting. It's good. We've got a good team. We've got as good a shot as, as anybody else who rolls into Nashville. LSU is certainly capable of winning three games in Nashville. Uh, There is no team in the SEC that is head and shoulders above everybody else. 
Of course, Kentucky won the league title, but we just saw Kentucky lose to Tennessee and was on the ropes against Florida down in uh, Gainesville on Saturday. So good opportunity for LSU if they can win on Friday to move into the weekend and possibly score a big win over, over either Auburn or Kentucky. And it would take that kind of win, I think, to move LSU up in the bracket off of what is likely that eight or nine game. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. If you've not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen. We appreciate it greatly. Rate us on iTunes, leave a review. All of that is just incredibly helpful as we grow in scale. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me knock out our final break. We'll come back, talk about LSU's three-game sweep of UMass Lowell. Stick around. They don't always go exactly as planned. I honestly thought we were going to come out today, a beautiful day. The wind's galen to left field. You know, third day of the weekend, you'd think that, you know, the other team would be down on pitching, and I thought we were going to go out and get 15 hits and, you know, just have a great offensive showing. My goodness, if you look up after five innings, we've struck out nine times. We just couldn't solve their kit. You know, it was, it was a barn burner. I mean, it, you know, they, they just played well. They played great against us today. Paul Maneri, after LSU's win on Sunday, 6-4 to four over UMass Lowell as LSU did complete the three-game sweep, its first three-game sweep of the season, which was really great to see for the Tigers in somewhat of a get-right series after a disappointing weekend in Houston last weekend. Of course, the, uh, the, the comeback win for Baylor over LSU and then the, the no-hitter by Oklahoma on Sunday. This was an opportunity for LSU to get the feel good back, to get some confidence, and by and large, they did that. Tigers went out on Friday and scored 11, scored 12 on Saturday, but they found themselves on Sunday in a 4-3 to hole going into the bottom of the eighth, but that's where the Tigers responded. They put up a three spot in the bottom of the eighth, punctuated by Gavin Dugas' second home run of the day, put the Tigers ahead 6-4, to and then Devin Fontenot was just absolutely lights out for the final six outs for LSU his dominant best in two innings with four strikeouts. He faced the minimum. When Devin Fontenot is going like that, there just aren't many college hitters that are going to be able to handle him when he's that good. So a couple of observations from the weekend. It was far from perfect, but there was a lot to like. Um, let me start with the biggest superlative on the mound, and it has to be Jaden Hill. So on Saturday, Landon Marceau goes five innings, and Paul Maneri decides, since they had not used Hill yet, to hand the ball to Jaden Hill. So he'll pitch the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth. Jaden Hill pitched four perfect innings of baseball. 12 up, 12 down for Jaden Hill against UMass Lowell on Saturday. It was a sight to behold. Uh, he earned the save in the ball game. It is rare that you see a four-inning save. But that's what Jaden Hill gave LSU. After last weekend against Texas, pitching three innings of shutout, no-hit baseball uh, with, I believe, eight strikeouts. E either way, there's this question that a lot of people are asking right now with Jaden Hill, if you should move him into the rotation. And I'm going to pump the brakes on that one for this reason. Right now, Henry, Marceau, Labus, you have three competent, at times dominant, starting pitchers. Jaden Hill undoubtedly is your best arm. He is. And so there is a school of thought that says put your best arm in the rotation so you can maximize him for a game. And I understand that. But 
if you move Jaden Hill into the rotation, and let's say Labus bumps out, your bullpen is not as dominant with Labus in it as opposed to Hill. If the three guys we already mentioned stay in the rotation, you've got three guys that can pr- have proven they can win. Cole Henry can beat any Friday guy. Landon Marceau can beat any Saturday guy. And A.J. Labus, who threw seven sh- innings of, of no-hit baseball in Houston last week, certainly is good enough to beat anybody's number three. So you're you're good in the rotation. And this might sound a bit contradictory because last year I liked the idea of moving Zach Hess to the rotation because he was your best arm. The difference is you didn't have options last year. It was a, a merry-go-round. It was musical chairs in the rotation because LSU didn't have anybody they felt like they could rely on. You needed Hess at the front of your rotation, and it was ultimately a role he wasn't suited for. But you've got three starting pitchers now that are competent. Now, next year, next year, Jaden Hill is very likely your Friday guy. Cole Henry is a draft-eligible sophomore, so if he leaves, Jaden Hill's likely your Friday guy next year. But I think what Palmineri is doing is he's extending Jaden Hill now to see, okay, if one of these guys falters and we need to move Hill into the rotation – Let's make sure that he's still got the same velocity, same command through the second time through the order as he does in those first 15 or 20 pitches. Um, But if you have the opportunity to give the ball to Cole Henry and say, go give me six or seven innings, and if he can exit with a lead on a Friday night and you can give the ball to Jaden Hill and for all intents and purposes that game is over, that's a weapon that nobody else really has. Now, some have said, well, what about – uh, what about Devin Fontenot? Well, Fontenot is your closer. Fontenot is a guy that you'd like to bring in in the ninth inning a couple of times a weekend if if you needed him to be able to use in multiple games. That's not how Paul Maneri is using Jaden Hill. They're in very different roles right now. I don't think you want to make Jaden Hill your one-inning closer because clearly he can give you more than that. But this makes you so much more dangerous when you can have a lead even into the fifth inning and then – for all intents and purposes, the game is over if you give the ball to Jaden Hill. So, as of now, I like it as it is. You've got three really good starting pitchers, and Hill, Fontenot, Beck, Vetmeyer, possibly Kamen or Hasty, George, they make you dominant in your bullpen with the number of arms that you can count on. So, I, I like sticking with it as it is. Really good offensively. Really good to see LSU get going the first couple of days. Nice to see Gavin Duga have a big day. Um, two guys going in opposite directions right now, Gio DiGiacomo and Zach Mathis. DiGiacomo on the weekend, this might have been the the best, the biggest positive of the weekend. DiGiacomo was 7 of 11 on the weekend, hit over 600. He had six runs scored, walked, had three RBI. It, Gio DiGiacomo is your prototypical leadoff guy. He's the guy that can leg out an infield single. He's the guy that can can go first to third. He's the guy that can score from first on an extra base hit. He is a guy that he gets on first base, can steal second, can steal third. He's a terror because of his speed, and he is who you want in the leadoff spot, provided he's putting the ball in play. But Gio really struggled with the bat. And now that it's coming around, you could make a very strong case for DiGiacomo to go to the top of the lineup with Doty second, Cabrera third, Beloso fourth, and Garza fifth. Um, 
and take Zach Mathis and move him to the bottom third to see if you can get him going again. Zach Mathis is one for his last 28. Consider this. LSU, when LSU went to Houston, Mathis was hitting 424. Today, he's hitting 283. His average has dropped nearly 150 points over the last seven games. That is a monumental slump, and you can't have a guy batting in the top third of your order who is essentially an automatic out who's not putting the ball in play. So perhaps Paul Maneri looks at, at Mathis and Giacomo and flips them this week. I would be very much in favor of that to see if Gio could get going at the top of the lineup to be a table setter, and then maybe if Mathis in the bottom third of the order gets more fastballs and starts connecting again. And if so, then you could have a possible situation like you had you know, with Cole Freeman, where Kramer led off, Cole, uh, you know, Cole batted ninth, and essentially you had back-to-back leadoff hitters, so whenever you flipped the lineup, you had ducks on the pond. I-, I like that possibility and would like to see what that looks like with South Alabama in the midweek, and then obviously with LSU going uh, to Oxford for three-game series against Ole Miss this week as they start SEC play. So also Collier Cranford was 3-4 for at the plate with a three-run score and two RBI in Saturday's win. It was nice to see the freshman shortstop get going a bit offensively. Tigers are hopefully starting to gain some confidence and round into form as they head to Oxford. It would be wonderful if they could go on the road and take two out of three. We'll talk more about that series as we get closer to it. But if nothing else, a get-right series and a good feeling in the belly coming off a disappointing weekend in Houston as LSU sweeps UMass Lowell. Okay, that's going to do it for another edition of the Locked on LSU podcast. Please subscribe. Now, I'll tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on SEC. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.